Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Heart for Iran's webinar series, where each month we speak with one of our partners who has the same passion and heart for Iran as we do. Join us with special guest Dr. David Curry, President and CEO of Open Doors USA, as we discuss Iran's newest threat to secret Christian believers. Welcome to the Heart for Iran webinar. So happy to be here. Welcome to everyone on Facebook. Welcome to everyone who has joined us on the webinar. Uh, we're really looking forward to being with you today. We've got a really important topic, interesting uh, involvement, something new going on in Iran today, and we want to share about that. Uh, the topic today is good news comes at a cost. Uh, there's been some new legislation passed inside of Iran that's really going to impact the Christians and the underground believers there, and we wanted to bring that to you right away. Um, before we get started, though, of course, I want to open with prayer uh, and then introduce uh, all of our uh, panelists and guests today. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the time to be together, Lord, the, the time to uh, focus on the people of Iran. And Lord, we just pray for them right now as they're going through so many uh, things and so many uh, turmoils with COVID-19 and now with this new legislation and just the constant uh, fear of persecution. Lord, we just ask you to bless them right now and be with them in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, welcome to the Heart Free Wrong webinar. Today's topic, Good News Comes at a Cost. We're going to be focusing on this new legislation. Uh, right off the bat, I want to let you all know, um, in the advertisement, we mentioned that Debrina would be with us. Um, she has a really fantastic story to tell. Unfortunately, she is, got really sick and is uh, going to get tested for COVID-19 today and is not going to be able to be with us. So I want to ask all of you guys to pray for Debrina. She's got a really powerful ministry. Um, her parents are actually in prison in Iran. We really wanted to get that story to you. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about her story as much as we can. But for now, let's pray for her and just pray that she gets better. Debrina, I hope you're watching. Hope you're feeling better soon. Uh, we're definitely going to be praying for you. Um, but we do have David Curry with us from Open Doors, president of Open Doors, here with us. Super excited to hear from him. And, of course, myself, David, the director of development uh, for Heart for Iran, as well as Mike, president of Heart for Iran. Uh, so glad to all be here with you today and share this topic. Again, uh, we are still praying for you all regarding COVID-19 and excited to share this topic with you today. Uh, Mike, I want to start with you. Um, can you open us up and just share a little bit about what exactly is happening inside of Iran? What is this new legislation that's been passed, and what does it mean for the Christians that are inside of Iran? Thank you uh, so much, David. Yes, um, for those of you who um, understand uh, what is going on in Iran, it's a very, very dire situation. For those of you who are new to this scenery and you don't know much about it, allow me to share with you guys that Iran uh, uh, happens to be an Islamic country in Iran. What you and I know as religious freedom uh, uh, and also human rights uh, is, is violated to the nth degree. Uh, so much so that uh, Open Doors International, uh, David Curry's organization, um, uh, they have a watch list that they produce every year. Iran happens to be the ninth most dangerous place in the world to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, and uh, traditionally, Iran has had a very strict law on anybody uh, who is uh, a Muslim and becomes a Christian. They frown on that, and the punishments are very severe, imprisonment and even death. Um, uh, and then uh, Iran also has a group of its own people group, including the Armenian and the Syrian uh, or Christians that, that are there. They are the ones who've been keeping the, the, the fire of Christianity going and alive for centuries uh, under severe persecution in that land, in that region. Uh, and uh, Iranian government uh, has been putting systematic uh, pressure and broad persecution, not only to this people group, but to others. And so what we've seen here is that Iran is a strict, is, is adding more restriction, uh, which potentially can increase uh, the level of persecution uh, towards its minority group. We're not only talking about the Christians, we're talking about Baha'is, we're talking about Sunnis, we're talking about uh, the, the Jewish community in that country. There are uh, some, some of those groups there, they're much smaller, and on the facade of things, they may have somewhat of a recognition or place 
or voice, but in reality, they're highly persecuted. Now, what happened and what is of our interest, the reason we're having this gathering here is because uh, uh, in May of this year, roughly about a month ago, Iranian government decided to introduce a couple of amendments to its Islamic penal code. And that has led to um, uh, a wave of uncertainty and panic, uh, both inside Iran domestically and also abroad uh, amongst the advocacy groups uh, for human rights violations in Iran. And that is something we felt very strongly about as, as hearts for Iran. We wanted to uh, talk to you guys about it, ask you guys to come together, let's, let's pray together. But to give you an understanding of what that means, I'm going to read directly from uh, the website of Article 18, and we're going to get some information from them shortly. It says amendments. You, you've actually, sorry to interrupt, you have actually read the new proposed legislation or the new legislation in Farsi. Yes, I have. Yeah, you have the understanding of what's in it. So, yeah, please share. Absolutely. So what I will do is I'll share with you guys uh, what Article 18 has put out, and I'm going to share with you guys what I read in Farsi, which I roughly translated for you guys to have an understanding. Uh, amendments to Article 499 and 500 of the Islamic Penal Code passed through Iran's parliament last month. This is according to Article 18 website. They said that it means that those found guilty of deviant psychological manipulation. Again, I want you to understand, Iran is calling our ministries and others uh, of introducing deviant psychological manipulation or propaganda country to Islam, whether in real or virtual sphere, space. They are now labeled as sects and punished with imprisonment, flogging, fines, or even death sentence. That's a big deal. Um, so what does that mean? Basically, it means that uh, Iranian government in their own Farsi website, uh, they have written this, and I'm going to go ahead and dissect it for you guys. It says, anybody who's found out insulting Islam um, or belongs to a part of a sect or a religious minority group, that in real or virtual space, space manipulate, manipulates the minds of Iranian Muslims or anyone who provides advice, counseling that leads to controlling the will of another person or any teaching propaganda contrary to Islamic values or any financial support of any group outside of Iran or contacting the groups outside of Iran. That means if you are in Iran right now watching this webinar, you qualify to be contacting us or following us, you're guilty. Um, so what would happen to them? Their, their belongings will be confiscated. They will be punished with imprisonment, flogging, fines, and even death penalty. So these are very, very severe, harsh um, amendments that has been introduced to Iranian law just recently. Uh, and we have no idea how that's gonna reflect on the actual persecution of, of minorities in Iran, that's why we're here, David. So uh, that, that kind of sums up the big picture. Mike, I just, you know, as we were talking about the exact wording here and you were sharing that, it almost feels to me as if this legislation is directly targeted towards online ministry efforts, TV ministry efforts, um, you know, any kind of outside missionary activity or targeting. I mean, it seems so targeted, especially you mentioned uh, that any kind of teaching, any kind of counseling or words, you know, we have a 24 hour phone counseling center where we, uh, people from Iran call us and they talk to us and they ask about the Bible and they want to hear more about Christ. I mean, this is exactly the type of stuff that we're involved in. How does that make you feel, you know, as you're thinking about the people inside of the country and what's happening with this new legislation? That's right. And the other thing that we need to notice is that right now, globally, there's a movement against violence, against injustice. In our own country, in America, right over here, we're realizing that a lot, there's a huge uprising. Uh, city blocks are being, uh, are being confiscated by people uh, across the, uh, the ocean, on, uh, in France, in, in uh, Germany, across the world. Uh, there, there, there is somewhat of an uprising against injustice. Yet in Iran, we're having this very, very brutal uh, stance as to know we are going to do what we want to do. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. So we did have a chance uh, to talk to Mansoor from Article 18, and this is a very, very fresh topic. He actually uh, wanted to be with us today, but was not able to because they're, they're actually having a meeting among ministries and advocacy ministries 
about what stance and what position they should take regarding this uh, legislation. So I want to play, we have a short video that I want to play for you guys. This essentially Mansoor summarizing what's going on. Uh, we wish he could be here with us, but Mansoor, we're praying for you as well as you are working with other ministries to talk about this uh, new legislation and what, what uh, this means for Christians inside of Iran. So uh, if we could play that video now. I cannot hear the audio if you guys are having problems. Analysts uh, and uh, those people who are watching um, this online, I'm so grateful that you're uh, raising awareness and highlighting this very important issue that will have wide implications for uh, not only Christians and religious minorities in Iran, but also anybody whose opinion differs from the uh, ruling Islamic clergies in Iran uh, who deem any uh, sort of opinion that uh, jeopardizes or undermines their authority as unorthodox and under this new legislation they could uh, penalize people very harshly as you've seen probably uh, this uh, uh, new uh, amendment that has gone through the parliament and has got to go through the final stages uh, but this uh, is quite alarming and we should hold uh, our uh, governments accountable, any elected officials who uh, in the Western countries or uh, any other uh, countries who are party with Iran, they, they do tra trades, they, do, they have diplomatic relations with Iran, and especially the governments who pay quite a lot of lip service to uh, freedom of religion and belief and safeguarding of it. Uh, we should uh, make sure that Iranian government is put on notice and they have uh, been uh, held accountable for um, uh, putting up this legislation that it goes against every uh, international covenant Iranian uh, government is a party of and because of it they get to benefit from all the uh, trade and relations with the West and with the, with the, with the world basically. Uh, and it, not only the international uh, agreements but also against its own uh, constitution. So uh, we, we need to demand uh, some response internationally to this and get uh, Iranian government to respond to this. As you know, uh, the um, uh, Iranian uh, foreign minister uh, have said repeatedly in various interviews and forums, and not just him, but also previous uh, delegates and diplomats in the Iranian government have repeatedly uh, claimed that we are not um, uh, penalizing or uh, putting people in prison because of their religious beliefs or whatever views or opinions they hold, um, but if they break a law. So we have a verse in, in Psalm 94 which says, a corrupt throne that brings about misery by inventing laws. So these are uh, exact similar situations that uh, a ruling corrupt regime is bringing about new laws under which they could um, uh, crack down on religious liberties uh, and uh, freedom of uh, opinion, expression, and, and belief. So it's uh, really important that we as uh, citizens of the world uh, hold our uh, elected officials, uh, congressmen, senators, members of the parliament, uh, or presidents, prime ministers, whoever uh, counts on our votes, that we should uh, not be uh, dealing with a government that um, so obviously is trying to undermine uh, religious freedom and freedom of expression, freedom of uh, belief. So uh, I'm grateful that you discussed this and hope these uh, collaborations continue and uh, put our uh, mind and act together uh, to hopefully uh, make a difference. Thank you for the time that you have given me to be with you. Uh, all the best for the rest of the uh, webinar. Yes, and we're so thankful for Mansoor for sharing that. Thanks, Mansoor, for uh, sharing us that video. And we're definitely praying for you guys as you talk about uh, what ministries can do uh, with regards to this new legislation. Um, and we want to dig more into what that actually means. But before we get too deep, I want to go ahead and, and shift and introduce David Curry, uh, our other panelist. David is the CEO of Open Doors USA. Um, their ministry, 
very uh, interested and very uh, prolific in the advocacy work, specifically keeping an eye on Iran and other countries around the world where persecution is happening. So David, welcome to the webinar. And we just want to ask you to share what are you guys seeing uh, inside of Iran? Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's an honor, and I can't think of a more important subject or a more important time to be talking about Iran, what's happening to religious liberties there specifically, but not only to Christians. Well, first, some good news on Iran. This is a young, dynamic church. There's we estimate somewhere around 800,000 followers of Jesus, all different kinds of backgrounds and faiths within the country. Uh, but it's a young, vibrant faith. This is, in, in essence, a church that's had to count the cost, what it means to follow Jesus under an, an extreme Islamic regime. Since 1979, there's been an oppressive, oppressive regime there trying to force out Christians, trying to force one version of, Sh of Shia Islamic law on its population. This is a cultured country. It's a, it's a group uh, that is intelligent. There's amazing resources within the country, and you are seeing all of that at play in this underground secret church of Iran. What was mentioned by Mike and mentioned earlier is new laws, new restrictions as this regime is seeking to tighten the noose, like almost like a boa constrictor around the church to squeeze the life out of it. Thus far, again, more good news, uh, everything they've done to try to stifle the name of Jesus, people having access to Bibles, sharing Bibles, talking about it, studying, and of course, deciding for themselves what they think about it. Everything they've done as a regime to try to stop that has helped it to flourish. Let's hope, let's hope that that's uh, going to be the effect of these laws as well. But what they're doing is they see what's happening, how the church is growing, adjusting, trying to use technologies, trying to trying to get access to Bible to Bible studies. They're, they're no threat to the regime. These are great Iranians. They love their country, but they want to be able to understand who a biblical Jesus was, have access to a Bible, and to study it and to talk about it. So I, I think what their expectation is, is pretty, is pretty straightforward. So that, that's the good news. This is a young, dynamic church. There's a lot going on. Uh, one more bit of good news. In the midst of this COVID experience, this pandemic, where there's been a, a spike in outbreak, now there could be a second spike in the country. Guess who's stepping up? Uh, showing the love of Jesus in very practical ways, the Iranian church, the house church movement, and it's doing it in a, in a very interesting way. First, they're looking at their neighbors. This began really as a movement of people trying to help out of their own pocket their neighbors who might be uh, of different faith or no faith at all, but who are hungry because they've been cut off. Maybe they're vulnerable to the COVID uh, virus. Uh, so they're cut off from food, cut off from travel, and Christians are helping their neighbor. They're getting organized as an as a underground church movement, and they're helping in concentric circles the country of Iran to be as healthy as possible so that people aren't, aren't malnourished, so that people aren't weak, so that they're not cut off from the kinds of mass and things that would help them to stay safe. So I see that the church being being the church to to the Iranian community as another blessing. Here's the here's the other thing we see though that's very difficult, and that is a, a, a push, as Mike mentioned, to crack down on every manifestation of the move of Jesus. That means the printing and distribution of Bibles. That means a, a broadcast into the country that would teach people of Bible studies, that would give people access to learn, to grow, to, to ask questions. Uh, anything that they see as an interaction uh, around a biblical worldview, they are trying to crush. They may succeed. That's why we need to be talking about this. We need to be praying for it. We need to do everything we can to support the church. But um, this is a difficult time. Good news going on, certainly, but it's a church uh, that is in embattled uh, at, at this point. So, David, uh, Open Doors, you guys specifically are focused in on these underground churches around the world, a lot of experience. And uh, Mike mentioned the World Watch List. 
uh, which Iran is number nine on that list. Can you tell us a little bit about how this watch list came about and what, what does it take to get on that list? You bet. Well, yeah, let me pull back a little bit about Open Doors. We began over 65 years ago as a secret covert mission into the Soviet Union. That was our focus. It was really to try to fight the Soviet Union's no-God system, to crush Christianity in, the, in the, what is now the Russian Federated States and beyond. So we began smuggling Bibles, first with one man, Brother Andrew, his story told through the book, God Smuggler. He, that's not his name, uh, Brother Andrew, that's his code name. And he, he set up a system of distribution within the Soviet Union that allowed us to, to, to get Bibles and support to Orthodox Christians, evangelicals of all different kinds of people. That was the network that was created when we first began. What Open Doors does now is that we are operating in 60 countries around the world where people are most oppressed for their faith. What it means, though, is that the technical ways in which we support the church aren't so different from where we began. We have to use more modern methods, but we are determined to make sure that people have access to the Bible, that they can read it, study it, and decide for themselves what they think about it, and that we advocate and speak for the church. Which brings us to Iran. Uh, we are very concerned about what's happening there. We, uh, we believe that now is the time for the Western church to speak up and, and to let their voice be heard on, on this subject. And um, when it comes to the world watch list, what you see is that we have had to find a way, first internally, uh, but now we share it with the State Department, with other governments. I've met with uh, Egyptian government and all, all diff across Africa and elsewhere to share our data. What it was initially uh, intended for was for us to determine where we would spend our resources. What's the toughest place to be a follower of Jesus? There's lots of anecdotes about that, but what does the data say? How many Christians are persecuted? In what ways are they persecuted? You say, well, is it different? Yeah, it's different everywhere. In some countries, you have the government oppressing people. In other ways, it's extremism or cultural. Sometimes it happens even within the family in other places, your, your family would never persecute you. So we try to determine in what ways are they persecuted. That helped us initially to know where we wanted to put our very focused uh, resources. Now, however, it's, we've released it for the last 20 plus years in order to give people an idea of the scope of persecution. Sometimes you will hear persecution of Christians mentioned on the news, uh, on CBN, certainly other outlets, but rarely in mainstream media unless it cross-references with some other subject that's interested to them. That has led the church into a slumber that they believe that it must not be widespread. But persecution and oppression is massive, maybe more now than at any time in the modern era. More people are oppressed for their faith, living under extreme restrictions. Uh, many, many people even die for their faith, really more than we can count. But when we give you the world watch list, it is a baseline. All the figures are baseline figures. That means we can prove the numbers that we, we show you. It's certainly more than that. I hope it's a resource for people. And it shows that Iran is number nine on the list. That means it's, it's a very difficult place. People are in prison for their faith. Massive restrictions across every level of life, family life, the national life. Uh, the government is oppressing them. So it's a big, big deal. Wow, thank you so much, David, for sharing that. And we will post in the uh, both the Facebook chat and also in the webinar the link so that you can go and look at that uh, world watch list right now or, or later at a different time. And you want to check out and see what other countries are on that list. But certainly Iran has been in that list for quite a while, and it's been a country that you guys have been watching. We have received a couple of questions. I want to go ahead and ask you guys and then, uh, move our conversation along, but uh, Mike and, and David, both of you guys, people are asking, has the law already been passed 
Should we pray that it doesn't get passed or has it already passed? What is the best uh, update on that and how people should pray specifically regarding this law? Um, the law it appears to have passed. It's an amendment that was uh, voted on and it was uh, agreed upon and it is now being used. Uh, again, I want to go back to uh, understanding the bigger picture that this did not happen overnight. Um, many people believe that this kind of amendment uh, was part of a greater plan uh, that was put uh, in, in place by the Iranian Supreme Leader and, and, and his team um, because they really want to form an ironclad um, you know, form of rule across Iran. And um, so we are not really surprised to see this because we knew that um, you know, uh, Iran is focused and, and panicking about its longevity and um, the Iranian government. And there's only so much that you can do by oppressing people and, uh, and uh, taking away uh, their, their rights. And, and that's been happening under the Iranian Islamic government for the past four years. Uh, but they're very, very cunning and savvy. And if I may, um, I know that David Kerry, you want to also share on this one, but allow me to give you guys a quick example of what, uh, what we've seen over here. Not everybody in Iran, not every single average person in Iran knows what, knows what has been passed. Because I know uh, one of our Facebook uh, viewers just asked the question, are people in Iran panicking? Iranian government does not go out publicly and say, oh, by the way, everybody on TV, we want you to let you guys know that we just had an amendment for legal, uh, for penal code 499 and 500. It's very subtle. As Mansour said, um, they've been trying to find ways to, to put more pressure and, and legally persecute anybody who is anti-Islamic. Well, before they couldn't do it, now they have passed the law. Now it gives them the right to do that. And if anybody says otherwise, they say it's part of the law of the land. But ironically, an average person in Iran does not know what is going on. And sometimes some of those people who travel and come to, to the West don't understand what is going on. They're under the illusion that Iran is a free country and everything's happening and everything's wonderful. Uh, and they have, the, uh, they have freedom. Case in point, um, about a couple of months ago, we got a phone call from Iranian young lady saying that, I just saw on your TV, you're saying Christians are being persecuted. Well, my mom and I are in Canada and we're completely shocked because we just come from Iran and Iran is the most free country. Why are you saying these lies about Iran? And um, sadly, the reality is that the average Iranian that is in Iran and is not focusing on minority groups of the Christian message and they're just dealing with their own daily life, uh, they don't understand what is going on. It's like the old example when you put a frog in a boiling water, um, uh, the frog jumps out. But if you put a frog in a cold water and, and slowly increase the temperature, the, the frog is going to boil to death. They have no idea what is going on. That's pretty much what is happening in Iran. Now, um, this is very fitting for us to talk about the fact that Iran has been persecuting anybody that has been anti-Islamic to their definition since day one. In fact, it was 1994, it was June 24th, this month. Uh, today is 26, two days ago this month, um, in 1994, when Mehdi Dibaj, uh, uh, who's one of the martyrs of Iran's early church uh, in, the, uh, in this age, he went out to uh, attend his daughter's 17th uh, birthday party. On his way to the birthday party, he was abducted. Uh, nobody found him. A few days later, on, on July, in the beginning of July, they found his body stabbed to death simply because he chose to convert from Islam to Christianity and he was vocal about his faith. Now, you move forward and you think that's only 26 years ago, but now, a couple of months ago, we got a phone call from this Iranian guy named Daniel. And you know what he says? He says, guys, I was with my, one of my Armenian friends. We went to, to his uh, home, came out, and they were having home church and then somebody ran me over. Uh, he was calling us from the hospital. He said, they ran me over. And when I went to the hospital, I, I was told, they were told that they could not treat me because I was guilty of, of apostasy or hanging out with the dirty individuals. That kind of a mindset is, exact, is happening in Iran. It is, is very much alive in Iran. You're talking about injustice. You're talking about persecution. Now it's going to happen to end degree if, if Iran truly gets away with saying that this is not a legal um, uh, responsibility of an average Muslim in the country. So, yes, 
the reality is that this is a major challenge and uh, it's been happening, but it's probably going to happen more systematically. David Curry, I want to uh, hear your thoughts on this matter as well. Well, I agree with everything you, that, that you've, you've said. I would add to it that I view these laws, uh, and I think your viewers need to understand, as a pivot uh, on, on behalf of the Iranian government to the UN and international bodies. It's not the audience that they're speaking to is not their population in my view. It is a way for them to justify that what they're doing to oppress religious freedom and to oppress their citizens is legal. Let me give you an example. I had a negotiation. I have a list in front of me of Iranians who right now are in prison for doing something related to their faith, not doing anything that we would understand is uncivil behavior, but I'm talking about owning a Bible, discussing uh, Christian, their Christian faith, uh, attending a, a house church or informally meeting to talk about Jesus. And, and I have a long list of them right now in front of me. That happens all the time. I went and met uh, secretly with an Ayatollah to discuss the release of some of these people. And in the discussion, I said, look, here are some people. These are, these are pastors. They love their country. They've uh, served their time. Can we find a way to, without a lot of uh, hubbub, release some of these people? The Ayatollah looked at, his, at the list. He began to do some research right there in front of me and said, David, you don't want these people released, they are criminals. And I thought to myself, well, there must be something I don't know about these people that makes them horrible criminals. I said, in what way are they criminals? He said, they, believe, they actually meet together in their homes to have Bible studies. They're not an official church. Mm. And I thought to myself, that is the worldview of this, of this particular Ayatollah and others within that government that, that has categorized what we think of as normal behavior. Get together with your families, have a Bible study, talk about Jesus. That is heinous. They, that is a, a, a something they are able to categorize as heinous criminal behavior. And as such, when in negotiations with, with governments and otherwise, they could say that is against the law. They keep breaking the law. That's why they're being persecuted. It's not because uh, they're Christians, but because they are unlawful. This wow. is a very, as Mike said, subtle way, and maybe in some ways not very subtle, but, it's, but it is a way in which to use the letter of the international law to bring massive pressure on Christians and other minorities, and we need to call it out. Right now, the world is in turmoil because of the, the uh, murder of one individual in Minneapolis, and everybody who saw that tape knows it was wrong, and it has revealed a, a, a real sickness in some people. The whole world's in turmoil about it. This sort of thing if people knew what was happening in Iran, would, would send ripple effects around the world. But we sort of look the other way or do not know what's going on. And as such, the government is able to oppress 80 million people, their freedom, and in particular, 800 to a million or more Christians who are the targets of these kinds of laws. Wow. Damn, wow. That's Thank right. you so much for sharing that. I just want to say, isn't it ironic that um, – the Ayatollahs, you know, say, well, you can't meet in your house. It's not an official church, but they've also closed down all the registered churches, and they don't allow uh, Farsi speakers to attend minority language churches. So they basically have shut it on every single level. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very interesting. I'm amazed that you were able to have that conversation. Uh, Mike, you, you wanted to jump in with something. Yeah, I just wanted to say, well, how does that, where does that, that bring us? That we are right now talking to the, uh, to the church in the West, and I want to agree with David Curry, what is our responsibility? Um, I think the church in the West often may say, well, we have our own problems. We don't have the time, we don't have the bandwidth. Um, but uh, the very essence of Great Commission, Jesus is commanding us, commanding the church uh, to go to different parts of the world and, and bring the message of gospel to everybody else. Um, so what we've seen over here is, uh, even one of our viewers, uh, he's saying uh, we are all vulnerable to the level of pride that, uh, that uh, you know, leads us to, to kill our brothers uh, and sisters. That is absolutely true. Guys, the reality is this. When 
In World War II, when um, the Nazi Germany started uh, the atrocities and killing many, many people, some chose to be quiet. Uh, when we are quiet towards atrocities and brutalities that we see done in the name of law, in the name of God, many times we become, we, there's a danger of us becoming numb uh, to what is going on. Yes, there's a lot of ugliness in the world, but what can we do? And I think the reason that we are getting together is uh, there is a need for us to come together, we collaborate with each other, uh, and we start praying with each other. I mean, one of the things that we, uh, we're excited about is our partnership with uh, Open Doors USA is, is, is a reflection of our heart wanting to, both organizations wanting to work with the rest of you guys, with the church in America, with the church uh, across the ocean. We want to work with every, every single one of you guys to bring more awareness. Your church members need to know about this. Maybe this Sunday on your virtual church service or, or online church service, you could go ahead and talk and start praying. All you can do is just maybe spend even two minutes uh, on your Sunday service telling the people in your congregation of what is going on and how to pray for Iran. There are tools available on, through our websites. We want to introduce to you guys how to get behind this voice because this truly is not a heart for Iran or open doors voice. I, it's, it's a voice of Christ uh, asking us to get together and, and stand in front of injustice. Amen. Uh, Mike, we have a question on Facebook about uh, what, it, what could international pressure do to reverse this amendment? I want to kick that to David. David, you guys are very active in advocacy. Um, what kind of success has advocacy had in the past? And what do you, what's your view about advocacy in this case? I think uh, international pressure, particularly economic pressure, has put the Iranian government in a very tenuous situation right now. Clearly, in my view, they're trying to wait out this election to see if they get an administration that will release uh, some of the sanctions, which will allow economic freedom and hopefully, uh, for, in their view, uh, allow them to prop up their government. Because I think certainly the people are restless. You've seen in the last 18 months a couple of very significant protests. This is a government that is disconnected from its people. You, you, you don't have, and this is something I'm not sure that American citizens understand. The Iranian people do not like the sorts of restrictions that they live under. They don't, they don't have a warm feeling for their government. Uh, so the pressure, I think, in some ways helps. Unfortunately, a lot of sanctions hurt the individual people, too. So it's, I, I'm not suggesting to under, uh, that I understand and know, you know how uh, all of that should be played ideally. But I think when people uh, are so inundated right now with bad news, it's easy, as Mike said, to get numb. It's easy to get fatigued. From a spiritual perspective, and I'm going to assume here that everybody here who's watching this has a concern in their heart for, their, for, for um, Christians in particular. Uh, from a spiritual perspective, however, we are called to pray for those in chains in prison for the name of Jesus as if it were our own family. So that takes the fatigue, take away the fatigue. Don't take on a pressure, a burden, because I say so, or because Mike says so, or anybody else for the Iranian people, but rather because God should be stirring in our heart to care for these people as if it were our own family. So from a spiritual perspective, I think the church needs to mobilize to pray and to care for Iran, and it makes a difference. There is a strong expatriate movement of Iranians around the world, smart people, resource people who need our help, who, who need the backing of the international community and the church at large to care. And I think these things have a big, big difference. These, this is a country, I think, that is right there at a tipping point that could be something beautiful happening right now. Of course, it, it's, it's quite dark, and these new laws add additional pressure and additional justification for a government to oppress their people. But I think something good could be happening, but we need to help really pray and, and move in, in the direction to help the Iranian church. Hey man, uh, that that's fantastic, Mike. We, you know, as you know, we are a, min a group of ministry partners, over 100 ministry partners. Many of them are involved with advocacy. What are you hearing, Mike, from our other ministry partners, and uh, what's your thoughts on advocacy in this case? Right. So uh, you may ask, uh, how does Hearts for Iran fit into this big puzzle of advocacy and and human rights and other things? And I would like to address that real fast. We do have a 
24-7 satellite TV that goes into Iran called Mohaba TV. It's been around uh, since 2005, and we've been bringing 24-7 uh, Christian programming by indigenous Christians into the country. And um, what we use that for as well, in addition, is whenever um, um, advocacy does no longer works, uh, then you resort on to bringing um, uh, the, the, the issue to the very forefront of media. And that happens all around the world, all around the globe. I think it's important to, uh, to understand and appreciate that advocacy does work quite often. Uh, as, as David uh, Curry mentioned, um, most often uh, there, is, there is a state-sponsored uh, incentives to, to release um, you know, the, the people from jail. Uh, so we always want to go ahead and give advocacy a shot because it does work. But in certain cases, there's just such a stubbornness that they say, no, you know what? We're not going to go ahead and release these people. We don't care if they are uh, in prison for, uh, for having a house church and they're innocent. Uh, that is when uh, we usually hear from these advocacy groups. They say, hey, guys, you have a satellite TV. Take this into uh, on air. Talk to them about it because we already exhausted all of our options and they're not budging. I think it's important to put more public pressure on the government of Iran. So that kind of answers one of the questions that, uh, that was asked earlier. Uh, what can be done from inside Iran and from outside? Um, we need to educate the average Iranian inside Iran that your government and your representatives have taken unilateral uh, measures to put more pressure on your neighbors, on you. And when they realize that that is what's going on in Iran, we're never going to get a call from a 19-year-old from a girl from Canada who says Iran is such a free country because she doesn't know. She lives in a fantasy land. So our job is to use our media to bring awareness. And it's quite effective, quite effective. Um, uh, that's how we, we play with this one. But again, uh, David, um, you know, we're also involved in other things such as sending Bible to, to the country of Iran and helping with the underground church and providing virtual church training as well. But it's majority of the heavy lifting is being done by our partners who truly are the heroes uh, in our midst. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about ministry. So switching from the political side to the ministry side, you know, Open Doors actively involved, Heart for Iran actively involved. When I hear, you know, you describe this, this legislation, I mean, it seems to almost exactly target the efforts that we're doing. Online ministry is huge right now with coronavirus. People are uh, coming online. They're learning more. We have more uh, people uh, listening to us online than ever before. And this specifically targets connecting to outside groups, learning, talking to a phone counselor, all of the things that our ministries are involved with. How do you guys think this is going to impact to both of you guys? I want to ask the question, how is this going to impact our ministry efforts going forward? Do you think it's going to slow us down in any way or what do you think the impact is going to be? Well, maybe I'll jump in first. Uh, we, we have a worldwide view. Uh, when we look at China, China has a very sophisticated system of surveillance, uh, even using facial recognition, tracking, through artificial intelligence, how many times people go to church, how they view things. They're shutting down Zoom churches in Wuhan and other places. Now, why is that significant to this discussion? Because China is selling that technology to Iran. So it is a wake-up call for the church that the Iranian government, while it doesn't have the strength of the centralized government that China does, desires to monitor behavior of its citizens and to squeeze even their, their technical connections through Zoom churches or any uh, Moabad TV, anything, they're going to want to eliminate it. What does that mean? We need to resource the church in Iran. We need to resource groups uh, like Moabad TV and others who help support that church because we're going to need to get more sophisticated, more thoughtful, uh, more covert uh, even than we are to try to keep this church alive first to help it survive this squeeze and then hopefully continue to thrive because the Iranian church is growing, but the, the, this movement is a very concerted effort to technically cut off the church and isolate it. That's always a pattern of the enemy, to isolate the church, make it feel like it's alone, like there's no hope for it, and in that, they begin to shrivel and die. But when the church is connected to Scripture in community, it can grow. It can grow and be healthy, and that should not be 
a threat to the Iranian government. These are great citizens. They're going to be better neighbors, as is exampled by the fact that the Iranian church is helping right now in underground networks people just to eat and stay healthy in this COVID-19 pandemic. So I think it would be smart for the Iranian church to allow uh, for the Iranian, Iranian government to encourage this kind of behavior, but that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're going to do. Uh, so we need to resource these groups that help uh, the Iranian church to survive. I totally agree. And we even have, I, I like your term isolation and the forcing of isolation. We see that play out isolated believers. It's very real. I think that, you know, sometimes from the Western perspective, we don't understand what that means to be an isolated believer. And we even think, well, there's persecution and the church grows. We might even have a romantic view of it, but isolation is very real. And we find that the people that are cut off, they don't have access to a Bible. They don't have access to talk to any other Christian. Many people have called us. They've come to Christ through watching some kind of a media content, but have still never even met another Christian. And these are the people that are most in jeopardy of you know, their faith uh, being taken away or not understanding or never growing and fully developing as a Christian. So we really believe in that, uh, that type of ministry activity. Mike, I want to kick that same question to you. You know, why are, do you think the government is targeting these online activities and these types of things? And do you think this is going to have a major impact for us moving forward? Yes, yes. Thank you for asking that question. So uh, let's go back to November of 2019. There was an uprising in Iran. Uh, Iran shut down its, its, uh, the Twitter and all its internet um, uh, resources and, and access to, to its citizens because it was crushing people. Iran was uh, allegedly uh, murdered 1,500 of its own uh, people when they went to streets uh, protesting. Uh, that news eventually ended up uh, leaking out to the, to the community. But Iran learned very fast that by, by limiting the, the bandwidth of internet, they'll be able to control the story and the dialogue uh, and, and the script. That's what they have done. Now, fast forward to March, to February and March of 2020. Uh, there was pandemic. Iran happened to be the epicenter of coronavirus in in Middle East, and uh, people stopped going to work. They were all at home, and Iran was afraid of another uprising. So Iran started giving more bandwidth on its internet to people to have access to go out there and be entertained and not take on the street and have another uprising on their hand. But what happened was the individuals who were fed up uh, with Islam, disillusioned with the Iranian government, they took on internet and online, and they started researching and finding finding other means, other, other things that would that would empower them to have a better understanding of what is out there and what is present and what the other options could have been if Iran was a free country indeed. Case in point, in March of 2020, just a few months ago, our call center registered 3,000 and 88 decisions for Christ. These are people that we talked to, people we prayed with. In one month, March of 2020, 3,088 people that we have names of from Iran called us, gave their heart to Christ. Compared to 324 in March of 2019, that's a 10X increase. Now, in April and May, in April, we had over 3,000, and in May, we had over 3,000 again. That's roughly, in the last three months, roughly a little bit less than 10,000 people in Iran. Using internet, they have changed, they have chosen, uh, made a decision to leave Islam behind and bring Jesus into their heart and their life. That's the trend that we've seen. Now, imagine you, uh, you take a look at other ministries and other organizations. Iran is truly panicked. They're saying, look, if these Iranian youth, if these people are online making decisions, this is bad for business. This, we cannot have an Islamic Republic if our Islamic citizens are leaving Islam. So what they're doing is because of, of, of the fragility um, of the prospects of, of their, of their uh, regime, they are resorting to making these things into law so they could easily crush any voice. It's all a matter of longevity. It's a matter of them maintaining control over Iran, over Iran's resources, Iran's oil, Iran's influences in the region, Iran's finances. And it's very sad because an average Iranian does not want to see their country pillaged and destroyed for those reasons. 
Yes, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for that update. Um, I want to ask you guys, how can we pray? People have asked on Facebook and um, in the chat, they want to know what specific prayer points in this situation. I want to, of course, say this is brand new. I mean, we're just finding out about it. We're just jumping off into this. Advocacy groups are meeting together, considering what kind of response Internally, we're thinking about how to address these things. So I, I realize it's all fresh, but just in general, how would you want to, if you could speak to the, our audience, what should they pray for in this situation? I, I would say uh, that we need to first pray for the government, for these leaders in Iran. Uh, it, it makes a difference uh, that we pray for them. And, and I think there are the Ayatollahs, there's not just a Ayatollah, there are several. Uh, we need to pray for them, for moderate voices, for people of peace in the midst of that. Uh, the, throughout Persian history, there have been great leaders, um, people of peace who respected religious minorities. So there are historical examples of this. We need to pray for that to happen. I, I think certainly we need to pray for the leaders in Washington, D.C. I've regularly talked, I'm sure some of you do, to people at the State Department, that they would help coordinate a movement in the West and elsewhere for more freedom and transparency in Iran, not more laws and regulations to clamp down on its people. There's so many distractions that would keep uh, governments from doing that. Let's pray that this uh, becomes a focal point again for people. I, obviously, I think we need to pray for the church leaders as well. These people are under tremendous pressure. Um, there are hundreds of them uh, that, uh, that are imprisoned right now. And these aren't necessarily um, uh, all uh, big church leaders, but anybody who is uh, has a movement and a network of believers who's in prison right now, who is under pressure, uh, I think we need to pray for them. I really believe that Iran is going to be an epicenter of revival and is an epicenter of revival, not just for the Persian-speaking world, but for the entire world. When I look at and, and pull back and see some epicenters of hope, Iran is one of them. I think Egypt could be one of them. Who knows? Uh, but that China could yet again, even though things are getting harder there, be an epicenter of revival. Uh, it's not going to be our plan, um, but, uh, but God's plan that's going to bring this about. But I certainly look at Iran and think of all the factors and the ability and the, the intelligence of these people, their culture, their networking ability, the, the way in which under tremendous pressure that church is blooming, I think could be amazing. And we need to pray that that happens. Amen. Let me summarize uh, those points. You're praying for the Iranian government and leaders uh, praying for U.S. and Western governments and their influence, praying for underground church leaders, praying for the church itself. And then I just want to refocus on what you said, praying uh, for Iran as an epicenter uh, to show the world that Christ is Lord, even inside of a country like Iran. And, and Mike, I just want to kick that over to you. You know, what does this law mean for others, what does the movement inside Iran mean for others when you're looking outside of Iran? Right. Well, thank you. Um, I, I do agree with everything that David Curry uh, mentioned. I also want to mention that um, what it means to the church in the West. I want to I want to bring it back to to us in the West. What is what is God saying to us? What does this mean? Um, the reality is that the vast majority of the people who are under severe persecution uh, under under Islam from Middle East. They end up leaving their homelands and become refugees in other countries, most often in the West. Uh, we see a, a trend since 2016, a vast number of refugees from Syria uh, leaving because ISIS was there. They're now finding homes in Germany and across Europe uh, and other parts of the world, including America and Canada. Uh, but then uh, what is the role of the church in the West? Number one is we need to have an understanding what God's heart is. Uh, what Holy Spirit is asking us to do. Um, we need to always, I always ask myself, and I tell my kids, always ask, what would Jesus do? Uh, if these people are coming to us, our goal and our, our, our number one responsibility is to pray for them. Even before they come to us, before they are coming to our countries, while they're being persecuted in their own nations, we have a responsibility 
as, as a global church to pray for the oppressed and for the persecuted. As David says, we have a responsibility to pray for the rulers of those countries. But then as a church in the West, we also need to be able to recognize the individuals that are coming from Islamic background and are leaving Islam and coming to Christianity to give them a platform to grow in our church. We need to start validating them, integrating them, assimilating them into the existing church, not shun them. And unfortunately, vast oft, uh, most often we are seeing the sad trend that when these people come into the Western church, half the time we're saying, okay, you stay out there or once you start launching your own indigenous church. Instead of bringing them into our culture, we're talking about worldviews, a worldview, uh, worldview of shame uh, and honor from Middle East that comes into our Western worldview. They need to be understood. They need to be embraced. They need to be validated into the church system in the West. And that is a challenge for us. That's a major challenge. Uh, but it's a challenge that I think is a biblical challenge that God wants us to find ways to welcome these people and embrace them. I'm not talking about welfare or social welfare or, other, or political things. I'm talking about the spiritual connect, connection to the people who have chosen to be brothers and sisters in faith with us. There's a huge responsibility on our shoulders. And I really want to say the church in the West needs to pray to find out what its role is in, in, the, in this crisis because God's, Jesus' great commission is taking place. Amen. And we cannot stand back and just say, okay, but well, won't others and other churches uh, do this? No, there is a responsibility for every single pastor who's watching this program, for every single Christian who's watching this, uh, this program, every single organization, advocacy group, foundation, donor, anybody. God is speaking to you. Stand up and be a part of this global movement. Amen. Thank you so much, Mike. So we talked about prayer, uh, special prayer points. I also want to give our viewers and audience a opportunity as we're wrapping this up. Uh, there is a chance to give. We do have a campaign going on right now to get 1,000 Bibles into the country uh, of Iran. And we're going to post that link for you uh, in the webinar and also on Facebook. Um, you might have seen the ad already, but it's a 1,000 Bible campaign over uh, this summer to try to get those Bibles in $7 per Bible. I really want to encourage you to go to that link uh, on our website site, heartforiran.com. Uh, Mike, I just want to ask you really quickly, how can people find out more about Heart for Iran? How can they find out more about you and get in touch? And I want to ask David the same thing afterwards. Uh, yes, uh, please visit uh, our website, www.heartforiran. That's uh, number four. That's H-E-A-R-T number four, IRAN.com. Uh, you will find on that website our, our latest efforts and other things. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd be more than happy to be in touch with you. Um, also, you could follow us on, on Twitter. Uh, look for Heart for Iran on Twitter. You'll be able to see us and the, and, uh, the latest news that is out there. Um, if you do have Iranians amongst you or Iranian friends or neighbors uh, in your neighborhood, connect them to Mohabat TV. Have them watch Mohabat TV. That's M-O-H-A-B-A-T dot TV. That's where we have Christian programming in Farsi targeting and bringing this, uh, this information to the Iranians. Amen. David, I want to ask you the same question. How can people find out more about Open Doors, more about the World Watch List? And after you share that, I would love to ask you to pray for the people of Iran and close us out with that prayer. You bet. Uh, people can go online, opendoorsusa.org. We try to make it so that people can watch the stories of Iranians and others who are persecuted for their faith themselves. So there's videos and stories and interactions. There's things that you can do. You can pray. There are projects, all these kinds of things. And, of course, research. Uh, some people love to know exactly what's going on. Uh, our World Watch List data, as deep as you want to go, it's there opendoorsusa.org. So let's pray now uh, for, for the people of Iran, for the church here uh, worldwide and, and elsewhere um, outside the United States, that we would wake up to what's happening and mobilize creatively in multiple ways to help the Iranian church. Heavenly Father, we pray right now for the country of Iran. We pray for the leaders. We pray for the Ayatollahs the governments, the local police officials. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would stir the hearts of those 
that as yet do not know you. They don't know your name. They don't understand who you are, but yet they are, they have been called by law and they have in some cases put law into place to punish people coming to know Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would frustrate their efforts, that you would help show them through multiple ways uh, the, the, the true story of Jesus and that you would expose them to Scripture and to believers in such a way that their hearts would warm towards you and, and towards your people. Lord, we pray for leaders of the church in Iran that you'd strengthen them, give them creativity and resources like never before. We pray for the people that, they're, that they would hear and be curious about Jesus and, and the healing power of Jesus, that you would bring visions and, and, and uh, insight to people who have no other way. Lord, I pray for television programs and call centers and websites and things that give people information, Lord. Uh, blind the eyes of leaders to these things. Lord, give us creativity and new ways of doing ministry uh, in the face of opposition, Lord for your kingdom's sake. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for that prayer, David. Thank you, everyone that's watching us on Facebook and in the webinar. We thank you so much for this episode and being a part of it. David, I want to thank you for being our guest today. Mike, uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have uh, you with me. And uh, just want to thank everyone again. And God bless you all.